Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tonight, straight from the source, a major new report that Donald Trump allegedly revealed sensitive U.S. secrets about nuclear submarines to a billionaire member of Mar-a-Lago. It could potentially get a lot worse because that businessman reportedly shared those secrets with dozens of others. I have new reporting on that story in just a moment. Also tonight, one of the deadliest attacks yet on civilians in Ukraine has now prompted new calls from the White House to keep U.S. aid flowing. Also, Republicans, including at least one who is a leading contender to be the next House Speaker, still say no more money. And today, President Biden has said that walls do not work, yet his administration is expanding one of Donald Trump's signature policy goals, even after Biden said not another foot would be built on his watch. I'm Caitlin Collins, and this is The Source. Tonight, I have new reporting on the Trump classified documents investigation. This comes as ABC News dropped this report tonight that months after leaving the White House, Donald Trump allegedly discussed potentially sensitive information about U.S. nuclear submarines with a member of his Mar-a-Lago Beach Club. And not just any member, that member is the Australian billionaire Anthony Pratt, who runs one of the world's largest packaging companies. And sources are confirming tonight that federal investigators have interviewed Pratt as part of their investigation into whether Trump mishandled classified documents. He is someone who had a close relationship with Trump when he was in the Oval Office. His company, Pratt Industries, actually opened a plant in Ohio when Trump was president in 2019. You can see him here at that opening together. During that, Pratt and Trump unveiled an official plaque commemorating the opening. But a source tells me tonight that during that visit, Pratt also wanted to unveil a second secret plaque in honor of Trump's catchphrase, which read, make America and Australia great again. I'm told that Pratt was advised against that move and ultimately did not do so. Now, according to ABC, Pratt has told investigators that during a conversation they had, Trump allegedly disclosed the exact number of nuclear warheads that U.S. submarines carry, and also exactly how close they can supposedly get to a Russian submarine without being detected. Pratt allegedly then went on to share this information with at least 45 other people, including more than 10 Australian officials, three former Australian prime ministers, 11 of his own employees, and six journalists. Not this one. Trump's spokesperson has put out this statement tonight saying, quote, These illegal leaks are coming from sources which totally lack proper context and relevant information. They say President Trump did nothing wrong, has always insisted on truth and transparency, and acted in a proper manning, proper manner, I should note, according to the law. I want to get straight to former deputy director of the FBI, 
and CNN's senior law enforcement analyst, Andrew McCabe. Andrew, when you read this and you see that this information apparently spread far and wide from journalists to former foreign politicians, if Trump actually was telling an Australian billionaire this information, how damaging is that? Oh my gosh, Kaylin, it's so unbelievably sensitive. Nuclear information about some of our most sensitive uh, national defense assets. And and before I talk about that, I should just say in response to uh, the Trump team's public statement, there is no proper context. There is no context that makes disclosing national defense information to a foreign national acceptable or lawful really under any circumstances whatsoever. So that's where we are. This information is so sensitive that it is one of the very, very few uh, categories of information that even an a sitting president cannot unilaterally declassify. So Congress has carved out special uh, laws to cover nuclear defense information. This clearly would fall within that purview. So it's not something that Trump could declassify, even if he was president. And we know, of course, when this conversation took place in April of 21, he was not. So it's just yeah. uh, incredibly concerning. Well, and it's not its not even just that he told this one person. I mean, apparently Pratt then went on to allegedly, I should note, because he hasn't responded to our request for comment, told at least 45 others. I mean, you were in the FBI for more than 20 years. What does the intelligence community think when they read a report like this? Folks in the intelligence community and in the military, I should add, are they spend their lives collecting, perfecting, and disseminating very carefully national defense information, top secret, highly classified information. So to see someone, anyone, so blatantly uh, abuse and misuse that information and handle it so irresponsibly and communicate it, disseminate it to a foreign national, it's just like an offense to everything that those folks hold sacred, everything they've spent their lives defending um, it's just an absolute disgusting offense. I'm hearing from sources that Pratt has been questioned by Jack Smith's investigators, by his team. If you were in that room, what kind of questions would you be asking Anthony Pratt? Well, you know, you obviously want to establish with as much granular detail exactly how that interaction took place, where they were, when it happened, who might have been around them, uh, who might have been standing with the former president, the details of everything that he said, questions that Pratt may have asked or what his reaction was to the things that he heard the president say. Then you would want to move on to find out who did he first speak to after hearing that information? We know from at least one former Mar-a-Lago employee uh, overheard Pratt then relaying that information to another person. So you literally have to track the chain of disclosure here from Pratt to all of those 45 people. Then you're investigating all of those 45 people to find out who they told. It's just, it becomes a, an incredibly burdensome investigation, but one that's essential to pursue. Yeah, well, and apparently Pratt is on the list of people who could who could be called at trial. We'll see if that actually does ultimately happen. Andrew McCabe, thank you for joining us tonight with your expertise on this. Thank you. I want to get more reaction now from someone who is challenging Trump for the 2024 Republican nomination, former New Jersey governor, and maybe more importantly on this subject, former U.S. attorney Chris Christie, governor. I mean, when, when you hear that Trump allegedly discussed potentially sensitive information about U.S. nuclear submarines, 
with a member of Mar-a-Lago and an Australian national. I mean, what's your reaction to that? It just shows you how unfit he is for the presidency. I mean, it's just that simple. I mean, you know, this is him, though. He wants to show off. He wants to make himself seem important. It's not enough for him to have been the former president of the United States. Now he has to spew secrets, sensitive information to people to show off on the, you know, balcony at Mar-a-Lago. It's, it's, it's just, it's both completely unthinkable, but also completely typical at the same time. And it's why he does not have the temperament, the self-control, the self-discipline to be president of the United States. You think that's why, if he did this, why he did this, he was just showing off? Oh, no doubt in my mind about it. I've known him for 22 years. He wasn't trying to do anything nefarious. He can't shut up. He can't help himself. If he thinks it's going to make him look good or important or in the know for a second to somebody, he does it. He's done it his whole life. He's never been able to keep a secret. And even when he has access to some of the most important secrets in our country, he can't help himself. It's... um. It's just so typical, and it's another reason why he's unfit to be president of the United States. Well, I mean, and everyone remembers when there were so many times when he was actually in the Oval Office that it was kind of a nightmare for intelligence officials, whether it was bringing the U.S. ambassador or the Russia ambassador to the U.S. into the Oval Office, other instances. But in this case, if, if he did actually tell this Australian billionaire this information and then he went on and told at least 45 other people apparently, and Trump is under investigation for mishandling classified information. If you're a prosecutor, how much does this factor into your case to make your case? It's just more whipped cream on the Sunday, Caitlin. That's it. It is just more and more evidence that he is not only willing to uh, mishandle these secrets, but anxious to do it. Um, I've told people all along, he took those documents, he kept those documents because it made him feel important. It allowed him to show off to other people. We've seen the examples allegedly of him flashing the documents around um, at a table at Mar-a-Lago. Um, he's got intelligence reports in the top desk drawer in his office at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, look, this is a guy who is so insecure, a guy who is just so needy that he has to do these things, that being one of only 45 people who have ever been president of the United States ain't enough. He's got to keep showing off. Do you think it matters to Republican voters, though? I think it will matter to Republican voters. Look, what Republican voters should understand is two nights ago, we saw our own party, a very small element of it, eight of them, who are Trump supporters dispatching the Speaker of the House. And when this tumult is going on in our House of Representatives, in our caucus, where is the guy who was nominee for the party twice, the guy who's the front runner right now? Was he there in Congress helping? Was he um, on the phone talking to folks, trying to convince them to support the Speaker? No. He was in a courtroom defending himself against civil fraud charges. I want everybody to understand out there who's watching, 
that's going to be the scene week after week after week from now through the election and after. A guy who's not leading our party against the Democrats, a guy who's not making the case, a guy who is sitting there whining and moaning and complaining about his own misfortune and then spending all of his time in a courtroom because that's where he's going to be compelled to be. I mean, and now you've got some people in Washington who are talking about making him Speaker of the House for even five seconds. I mean, this is outrageous. Trump's talking about people? that. I mean, I mean, what do you make of I well, mean, Trump is saying maybe he's he he short-term Speaker? Of course, it would aggrandize him. It would give him another title. He could preen around there like the peacock he is and act like a big shot. He wouldn't do anything. This is the guy who didn't get Obamacare repealed and replaced when he had majorities in both houses. This is the guy who added $7.8 trillion to the national debt when he had control of the House and the Senate. This is the guy um, who said he was going to build a big, beautiful wall across the entire border of Mexico and built 52 miles of new wall in his entire presidency, and Mexico hasn't paid the first peso towards it. I mean, he, he this is the guy who could get things done as Speaker of the House. He was President of the United States and couldn't get anything done. He should not be Speaker, and every presidential candidate should be out there saying the exact same thing. But remember, these were the people who raised their hand and said they'd support him if he, even if he was convicted of felonies. So I'm not expecting any of them to stand up now. Yeah, I think you and Mike Pence are the only ones who have said that he shouldn't actually be the House Speaker. Me and Asa Hutchinson, to correct you, Caitlin, it was it was me and Asa well, Hutchinson. No, Pence were the only in, two. Pence, Mike Pence raised his hand too. I, I was saying Pence weighed in today, saying that Trump should not be the House Speaker even for a, a little bit. But you're right well, that you were the ones Mike. on stage about not supporting him. Governor Chris Christie, uh, we'll have you back soon. Thank you for your time tonight. Caitlin, thanks so much for having me, and I appreciate always being on the source. Absolutely. Up next, speaking of that fight that Governor Christie was referring to, a blunt warning about one of the leading candidates to replace Kevin McCarthy as the Speaker of the House. What Liz Cheney, who of course chaired the January 6th committee, is predicting if Jim Jordan wins the gavel. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The list of Republicans angling for a chance to be the next Speaker of the House is continuing to grow, ranging from a long shot, seemingly, Donald Trump, who is actually planning a trip to Capitol Hill on Tuesday, we are told, even though his multiple criminal indictments would seemingly disqualify him from that job, 
To the underdog, Oklahoma's Kevin Hearn, who is also said to be considering running and throwing his hat in the race. To the current number two, House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, who says he is officially in this race, working to get votes from his home state of Louisiana in recent days. And then there is Jim Jordan, a man that the former speaker, John Boehner, once called a, quote, legislative terrorist. By the end of the week, there may be even more Republicans lining up to be the third in line for the presidency. And joining me now is Louisiana Republican Congressman Garrett Graves. Congressman, thank you for being here. Obviously, when Liz Cheney was on Capitol Hill, you worked with her on several issues. Here's what she said recently about one of the contenders for the next House Speaker. Jim Jordan knew more about what Donald Trump had planned for January 6th than any other member of the House of Representatives. Now, somebody needs to ask Jim Jordan, why didn't you report to the Capitol Police what you knew Donald Trump had planned? If they were to decide that, there would no longer be any possible way to argue that a group of elected Republicans could be counted on to defend the Constitution. Congressman, what do you make of, of what Liz Cheney is saying there about Jim Jordan but possibly becoming House Speaker? Look, I don't know anything about what Liz is talking about. Um, I know that uh, obviously there's a there's a bit of animosity there uh, with with her, with her and some House Republicans. But look, I want to I want to tell you something that I think is really important. Um, Jim Jordan came to Congress before I, I started and had been there a number of years, and the number of members of Congress that said that the Jim Jordan of 2010 or 2020 is a night and day difference to the Jim Jordan of 2023. Um, and there's been a lot of change and uh, I guess maturity in the way that he's approached things. I think he's a great communicator. And I think that Jim is um, is is absolutely a viable candidate. I think that I think that Steve's a viable candidate. But more importantly, I think one of the things we need to be doing is is really focusing on the stability or structure of the job, the position of Speaker of the House. Jim Jordan obviously defied a congressional subpoena from the January 6th committee. Is that a factor at all in whether or not he's the right person to, to succeed Kevin, Kevin McCarthy? Look, the, 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 the January 6th committee um, was, a, was a partisan effort. If there, if there had been a, a committee that was actually set up, that, that the Republicans got to choose who was on it and got to appoint their own members, I think that would have been a different story. Uh, but to go out and structure it the way they did at the beginning, you really did undermine the integrity of, of that committee. Uh, while while uh, every well, other committee in the Congress, you have the, the respective parties that get to choose who their members are with expertise to serve. Well, that was in a this case, decision, of course, Congressman, by Kevin McCarthy. There were two Republicans on it, including Liz Cheney. But putting the committee aside, I mean, it sounds like you would be willing to potentially vote for Jim Jordan as the next House Speaker. Look, I think what's most important and what I'm prioritizing is stabilizing the structure of the position of Speaker of the House. Caitlin, after that, Yes, we need to have a robust discussion about who is best. Is it Steve Scalise? Is it Jim Jordan? Is there a third candidate out there? Um, but, but what I'm focused on is the functionality of the House of Representatives undoing this disaster that Matt Gates and the rest of the, the, the Chaos Caucus have, have done to the House. Uh, 
um, and, and making sure that we get back on track doing the things that we need to be doing for this country. Okay, so it sounds like you don't think it's a two-man race at this point. You are a close ally of Kevin McCarthy's. You were there during his 15 rounds to become speaker in January. Are you disappointed that the former president didn't try to come to his defense more as he was in the throes of being ousted from his job? I'm disappointed that Matt Gates went out and fabricated this narrative and then acted on it. I mean, this was the Jack Abramoff of Congress, the disgraced lobbyist that created problems for his clients and then charged them more money to fix them. That, that's what Matt Gates did. That's where my frustration is. This is something that's internal to the Congress. This is not something that's external to, to outside forces. Well, that's interesting you said that because Trump is coming. Apparently, he's considering it. To the, it's likely, I am told by sources, to the Capitol on Tuesday as you were having your candidate forum the day before you're going to have your actual speaker. He's claiming tonight that he could actually take the job as House Speaker on a short-term basis. Do you believe that that can happen? Uh, you know, look, there's a part of me that um, just just um, sitting down and buying tickets to watch the chaos um, would be uh, would be incredibly entertaining to see what the Democrats just created. Um, but in, in a, I guess, more serious fashion, uh, look, my focus is on restoring functionality and stability. Um, my guess is just based upon precedent that the next Speaker of the House is going to be a, a member of the House of Representatives. But as you have seen and I have seen, there are a few members of Congress that have said that they think that he would be a, a viable speaker. Um, but but as you know, there has not been an external speaker. I think that while the Constitution does provide for it, I think we're going to have a, a member of the House that, uh, that's Speaker of the House. That was a pretty big sigh from you. Are you saying that you don't think Trump should come on Tuesday, that it's not helpful? Uh, I, no, I didn't, I didn't say that at all. It's just that when you, when you look already well, do you feel at, that way? at the... I'm sorry? Do you feel that, that, he should, that his influence there, his presence on Tuesday night is not helpful? No, I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we're, we're in this situation where we have chaos, we have uncertainty, and, and I do think that his presence is certainly going to add another dynamic of, of excitement. Um, but what I'm focused on and I'm going to remain focused on is getting the functionality of the House. Look, Caitlin, uh, we can talk about all these externalities all day long. What we need to be doing is securing our southern border. We need to be fixing energy policy that's so brainless right now that we're becoming more dependent upon other countries and watching emissions go up as compared to they did they did under President Trump where they actually went down. Um, we need to be focused on getting spending under control, get our fiscal house in order. Those are the things that I'm concerned about, and I hear the most from our constituents. Yeah, I hear the word excitement there, though. You had just said uh, chaos. But obviously, Congressman, what is at the center of this as well is Ukraine funding on the line here. A Russian strike today, as you saw, on a grocery store killed at least 50 people. You recently voted in favor of an amendment that would have blocked security assistance to Ukraine. It didn't pass, but in total, 93 Republicans voted for that including you, does an attack like what you see today, where the Ukrainian officials say there's no military target anywhere near where this attack happened, does that shift your position at all? Um, let me be very clear. What Vladimir Putin has done in Ukraine is absolutely inexcusable. As a, as a defender of liberty and human rights, the United States has a responsibility and an obligation to participate. Um, but 
I can't go to our constituents, the people that we represent, and say that we need to invest tens or even hundreds of billions of dollars in Ukraine, and we're not going to do a damn thing about our southern border because our president has blocked efforts to secure it. Number one. Number two, let's be really clear on what's going on right now because this is important. Today, the Department of Defense has $6 billion available to offer assistance to Ukraine. Today, the State Department has $3 billion available to Ukraine. They have, there was some discrepancy here, but we believe they have full authority, transfer authority of those dollars to, to shift them around different DOD programs. So there is not an imminent crisis on funds. Is there one potentially in the future? Yes. We've got to have a candid discussion about accountability, about transparency of the funds, about objectives, and about the participation of our European allies. And I'm willing to have that conversation. Well, I think the White House has not done a sufficient job in explaining the justification for the dollars that we've uh, uh, that they're requesting so far. Well, I think uh, on the border, that's a, another subject. We're going to be speaking about that later in the show. Obviously, we're seeing the White House now build new barrier there. But when it comes to, to, to doing this, are you saying that you would be willing to vote for Ukraine funding in the future? I am willing to have that discussion. I absolutely am. But I want to be clear, Kaylin, you got to put yourself in a position of a representative. We're going to take American taxpayer dollars and secure Ukraine's border, and we're not going to do a damn thing about our own. We're having cartels. We've had 106,000 well, Americans. Republicans do have die the House majority. Deaths. We've had. The, the, the cartels are profiting $13 billion a year from human smuggling. This is unforgivable. So, so we do something about our southern border. This administration provides justification. I'm willing to have that conversation with them. Can't you do both at the same time if you wanted to? It, it, again, there's not an imminent loss of dollars. There's not a, a, a zero account balance. They've got time with the $6 billion and $3 billion. Um, there is time to have a conversation about it. Yes, we can have a conversation about the southern border in Ukraine at the same time. But, um, but again, I want you to put yourself in my position. I represent 800,000 people that are taxpayers. I'm, I'm not going to go out and say another country's border is more important than our own when our own citizens are, are being shot or being killed or being poisoned as a result of the fentanyl. Uh, the, the 147, I think, uh, folks on the terrorist watch list that have come across the southern border. This is dangerous. The, the, the conditions right here in America. Congressman Garrett Graves, thank you for your time tonight. Good luck next week. You bet. Thank you. It's an idea that President Biden once said was not a serious policy solution. Trump campaigned on um, build that wall. Are you willing to tear that wall down? No, I'm, there will not be another foot of wall constructed on my administration. Well, now he is adding more than another foot. He's actually building miles more of what was Donald Trump's signature objective at the southern border. We're going to speak to the reporter that you saw there getting Biden on the record next. President Biden expanding the wall at the U.S.-Mexico border. Yes, you did hear that right. His administration waiving 26 laws to do so, despite once vowing that he would never add another foot to that wall, Today, President Biden said that he had no choice. The money was appropriated for the border wall. I tried to get them to reappropriate, to redirect that money. They didn't. They wouldn't. And in the meantime, there's nothing under the law other than they have to use the money for what was appropriate. I can't stop that. Do you believe the border wall works? No. 
Despite that one-word answer there, the project is set for the Rio Grande Valley, where Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas says, and I'm quoting him now in a notice that went out in the federal registry, an acute and immediate need to construct physical barriers to ease the surge in migrant crossings. Doing so will require Biden to bypass laws that his administration has moved to protect, including the National Environmental Policy Act, the Endangered Species Act, and the Clean Water and Air Act. The White House is defending the move, saying that they are just simply following the law by using this money to expand the wall. This is not new, right? This is something that came from the last administration under the Republican leadership in fiscal year 2019, and we are required to do this. We are required, DHS is required to comply by the law. That's what we're doing here. I want to bring in Lulu Garcia Navarro, a New York Times host who interviewed Biden on the border wall, talked about this issue as he was a candidate. Lulu, you were the reporter who, of course, pressed then-candidate Biden about this. I want to remind our viewers what it was exactly that he told you. I'm campaigned on um, build that wall. Are you willing to tear that wall down? No, I'm, there will not be another foot of wall constructed on my administration. I'm going to make sure that we have border protection, but it's going to be based on making sure that we use high-tech capacity to deal with it. Given how forceful that he was in that answer to you then, what do you make of, of then versus what he's doing now? Uh, I think there's that old adage, uh, never say never. And I think what we're seeing now is precisely that. Uh, he was very clear that he was not going to build uh, any um, barrier in the southern, on the southern border. And of course, what we're seeing now is um, the plan to make about 18 miles um, of 18 to 20 miles of new border fencing. It's going to be about 18 um, uh, sorry, 18 feet high. So it is going to be an actual barrier. And um, I think the administration is trying to have it both ways. On the one hand, they're saying, uh, you know, barriers don't work, walls don't work. That's something from the Republican administration. But on the other hand, we are seeing, as you pointed out quite clearly, um, that there is a need on the southern border, according to DHS, um, saying that there are these this uh, very large surge in migrant crossings. And this area where this um, barrier is going to be built is a very porous area. I been down there many times. It is mm -hmm. a place with a lot of crossings. And um, there is, according to DHS, a need for a barrier. Yeah. And of course, you hear the White House saying, well, this money has been appropriated. We have no choice. Of course, money is appropriated all the time and not actually used. But you know, when you look at this from a political perspective, every politician knows you know, what you said, essentially, which is there's a difference when you're campaigning and when you're actually in office and unpredictable things mm -hmm. that happen. And the president's approval rating when it comes to border security and immigration, it's actually even lower than his overall approval rating, which is is also quite low. Do you believe part of that is also what's at stake here for him? I think so. I mean, the uh, situation on the southern border and just immigration writ large is becoming a very important topic, not only for Republicans who have been campaigning on this for a long time, but for Democrats. We've been seeing in Democratic cities across this country, Chicago, New York, Washington, D.C., Denver, uh, huge numbers of immigrants. Um, I was just talking to one of my colleagues from The New York Times, Ernesto Londoño, who is in Chicago, and he was uh, stunned by what he was seeing. Migrants camped out at police stations. There's 
There's about 800 migrants in one of the um, terminals in O'Hare Airport. Uh, this, of course, has brought this issue home to the, the very constituents that Biden needs to win the next election. And so what we're seeing here is him trying to thread the needle. On the one hand, Building um, more barriers on the southern border isn't going to appease the right. Um, but on the other hand, it is going to infuriate uh, the left. And we've already seen that. Um, I've been you know, seeing quotes all day from uh, Biden's uh, supporters and others saying this is a horrific step, step backwards. And so he's in a very difficult position. There is real urgency around this. But on the other hand, he needs to be seen as doing something. Lulu Garcia Navarro, I mean, you're the perfect person to speak with us about. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Up next, he has been viewed as a potential spoiler of the presidential cycle, a label that he has denied on this program. Now Cornell West says he is running as an independent. Why and what change? We'll ask him in his first interview next. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Progressive presidential candidate Dr. Cornell West is changing lanes again in his bid for the White House. He announced today that he will no longer seek the Green Party's nomination and instead is going to run as an independent. It was just, of course, a few months ago that Dr. West left a lesser-known liberal group to join the Green Party to run for that ticket. He defended his quest for the White House amid criticism from Democrats and many of President Biden's allies that his run could tip the election to potentially Donald Trump if he's the GOP nominee. Dr. Cornell West is back here with me. Welcome back to The Source. Oh, Thank it's a you. blessing to be here. Thank and again, you for being here. salute you and the work you're doing. Thank you very much. We had you on in the first week of the show. Absolutely. Tell me why you made this move and you're going to run as an independent now. Well, I'm thoroughly convinced that we're at such a low level in the history of the country with the spiritual decay and moral decadence, political paralysis, the corporate greed, suppressions in so many ways of UAW workers and now healthcare workers. We have to raise our voices in a serious way. And I'm thoroughly convinced that both parties are beyond redemption. They're almost like plantations. The Green Party is a progressive party, and I was so glad that Sister Jill Stein and my dear brother Jamu Baraka came in and allowed me to be a, become a part of that process. But I discovered that lo and behold, even there, there are certain impediments. And you see, Sister Caitlin, I, I really am a jazz man in the life of the mind and the world of politics, which means that it's difficult to play in the party band. It's difficult to, to have to deal with those constraints. What do you and mean all. impediments? The impediments having to do with, first, there's a long nomination process. You've got a number of different uh, appearances you have to make. You have to make your case. And I understand that democratic process, but when it becomes so internal that I don't have time to focus on the pain and the social misery of the people. But do you worry it complicates your, your bid for the White House? Because if you did run as the Green Party nominee, you know, you're on the ballot in, I think, 20 or so states. Now you've got to raise a lot of money, have this, this effort to get your name on the ballots, which, you know, as well as I do, it requires tens of thousands of signatures. Well, my Green Party brothers and sisters have 18 states. 18. So we still had 32. 
And the two-party system, the corporate duopoly, is just so unjust in terms of making it difficult for any independent party. And that shows you the way in which they want to reproduce the status quo. Now, I've got 50, but it's easier as an independent to gain access to the ballot than it is to be part of a third party, you see. And so we've got folk on the ground, operations on the ground. I've got an organizational genius in my dear brother, Peter Dow, and magnificent high quality team. And we're hitting the ground running and we're gonna be in at least 35 or 40 states. Did you hear anything from anyone in the White House or the Biden campaign or, or any of President Biden's associates about this move? No, not at all, not at all. And we want to continue to put some fear into them because, see, when you speak to the greed of Wall Street, when you really speak to the military adventurism and the possibility of a World War III with the United States and the Russian Federation mediated with that ugly, ugly suffering of our precious Ukrainian brothers and sisters, when you really speak to the mass incarceration, the plight of those in the hoods and barrios and in reservations, poor white folk, and, poor working people across the board. That puts fear in the status quo. Both Democrats and Republicans are both of them tied to Wall Street. I, I don't know, because we got to keep in mind, you know, that again, things are in such flux, my dear sister. Biden might not even be the candidate. He's running out of gas. Trump may be either in jail or on the way to jail. We don't know. We got a whole year. I have to be true to my calling. And I have to be consistent. And most importantly, I want to try to be an example. As fallible as I am, I want to be an example of a quest for integrity, honesty, and decency in a moment where there's so much hatred and greed and revenge. Given you want to be that, that example, and you just mentioned what, what you said is the potential for World War III. You know, yes. you and I have talked about this before with yes. Russia and NATO with the last time you were here. You recently were headlining an event that, that was put on by an anti-war group. But Mother Jones is saying that at that event, that there were, it was co-sponsored by activists who were known to have worked for, for Russian state media, for um, the Chinese Communist Party, the North Korean regime. I mean, how do you justify no, being on no. stage? Well, Mother Jones, like what a great figure she was. She'd be critical of what's being done in her name. It was sponsored primarily by magnificent brothers and sisters named Code Pink. Medea Benjamin and others who've been critical of oppression across the board. It could be oppression in Russia. It could be oppression of Muslims in China. What we were calling for is a stoppage of the war because we don't want another endless war like Afghanistan and Vietnam. We don't want billions and billions being spent when we don't have money for health care, jobs with a living wage, decent housing, quality education. It's part of the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., right? You the bombs dropped overseas, land in poor and working class communities communities here because we don't have resources. That was the spirit of that gathering that we had. You've said that DC. you're against funding to Ukraine, and you've said that you've blamed NATO for, for Russia's invasion, which, of course, you know, U.S. officials say that is Kremlin propaganda, Kremlin talking points. You haven't said yet what terms of a ceasefire you would accept. But I don't, I don't blame NATO. I blame the United States using NATO as part of their imperial policy to provoke Russia. But Russia, now, Russia provoked Russia. Russia well, didn't invade a NATO no, country, they Russia's invaded Russia's an empire, it's wounded, it's a small empire, it's repressive. Putin himself, of course, authoritarian. Well, it's small. It's, the economy is roughly the size of Italy. I mean, it's, it's small compared to the United States. Biggest militaries, I mean, they're not that effective, clearly. Oh, but. No, Russia's got, what, uh, 30 military units around the world. We got 800 around the world. There's no comparison in A that regard. Like what you saw but, today but my point is this, though. Mind. My point is this. We have to be consistent 
in our critiques of oppression wherever it is. If it's Russian oppression, we're critical of it. It could be oppression in Iran vis-a-vis our precious young Muslim sisters. It could be oppression in Guatemala. It could be oppression in Uganda. We have to be consistent, but we have to take U.S. responsibility. And U.S. responsibility is what? Special operation units over 150 countries, 800 military units in over 85 I'm countries. Just speaking about That's Ukraine world. No, but 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 NATO. Obviously. NATO was a particular expression of U.S. power, and it has been from the very beginning. You see, so that that, that doesn't in any way justify the criminal invasion of Putin. But it means when you provoke any nation. I mean, if Russia had missiles in Mexico and Canada. What would be the response to be the Democrats or Republicans? I know, I know you've said this blow before. Blow it to smithereens. We would blow it to smithereens. That's how empires behave. Did not provoke that invasion. That was right. Yeah, but I mean, we got we got deep disagreements on that. But that's right. We but do, somebody's but right and wrong. I'm not a relativist about this. Somebody's it's a conversation right that we appreciate you having. We will yes. continue. Dr. Cornell West, now running as an independent. Thank you for coming Thank and joining us. You indeed, and I salute the work that you're doing. You're putting a smile on the faces of folk in Prattville, Alabama. Thank you, Dr. West. Absolutely. <laughs> Coming up, a new guilty plea that could mean even more, more trouble for the indicted Republican Congressman George Santos. We'll tell you who it is next. The former campaign treasurer for George Santos pleading not guilty today in a blow to the already embattled congressman. Her charge conspiring to defraud the United States. Nancy Marks, a major operative for New York Republicans, admitted today that she falsified financial documents and donation records for the Santos campaign. Joining me now, political commentator Errol Lewis. I mean, essentially saying that she tricked these Republicans into supporting Santos and helped falsify documents, that does not mean good things for him. Oh, no, no, no. That um, spells uh, huge political problems for him and very, very serious legal consequences as well. Uh, the political uh, problems are obvious. She's going to be sentenced to prison. This, this comes with a recommendation that she served as much as five years in prison. She's going to be sentenced in April. Now, in those six months before that happens, she is going to be talking, obviously, with prosecutors. And they were indicted at the same time. And this is a campaign that benefited him. So the crimes that she admitted to in court today were really on his behalf. And while he claims that she went rogue and he had nothing to do with it, that's going to be a very, very difficult claim to, to explain both to voters and to prosecutors. Yeah, and her testimony seems like, I mean, she doesn't have a cooperation agreement yet, but this seems to almost guarantee that she'll get one. Well, that's right. And, and look, the, the filings were preposterous. I mean, she had, to, she had to plead guilty. There's no way she could have survived a trial. There, there were things, Caitlin, like $250,000 worth of unitemized expenses, each of which was $199.99, which is the threshold for explaining what you spent the money on. I mean, it was, uh, it was an outrageous campaign. There were people who were listed who had never donated to anyone. Uh, there were addresses that were given as the address of where donors lived where there was no one there. Mm-hmm. So she explained what it was all about, why it was done, how it was done. And for George Santos to say that this person, my very close associate, that I worked with, that I went into business with, uh, did all of this behind my back, absolutely preposterous. It's, it's as uh, unbelievable as the filings themselves. Yeah, it just adds to this ever-growing story. Errol Lewis, I know you've been covering it closely. Thank you. Thanks. And of course, we'll be right back in, after a quick break. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. CNN Primetime with Abby Phillips starts right now. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country. 
Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.